While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. So I was at the supermarket today. I was going to buy some fish. I don't know if you ever run into this problem. This is not a place I've, I'm used to running into this problem. I tried to buy something and a dude told me I was doing it wrong. What does that mean? I tried to buy two pieces of fish and he said, are you sure you want to do that? Don't Did you want he... to buy this other fish? Have do you, do you know about unit prices? And I said, yes, sir. I know about unit prices. Okay, I like. <laughs> when have you? Was ever... he just trying to get you to purchase things more efficiently, like look at the price per pound instead of? Yeah, but he was also trying to get me to buy more fish than I needed. But you could pay less to get more fish, and but then, then just I'm waste, gonna waste pay, some fish. I'm gonna pay more for fish I don't need. That's the that's like Sam's Club entire model of business is like. You don't need 50 gallons of mayonnaise, but look how cheap it is compared to buying 50 individual gallon tubs. It's of only one cent per mayonnaise. You just got to get all the mayonnaise. Per unit of mayonnaise. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And you're not going to tell me how to buy my fish. I'm going to buy whatever Apparently fish not. I want. <laughs> Here's okay. Here's the issue. What was the what was the thrilling conclusion to this fish story? Like, did you end up buying what you would set out to buy, no, or did you started, listen to this stranger's advice? No, he started going on. I had to shut him down. I said, "I need the two fish pieces that I want, please." And he shot me a look like I'd stepped on his dog. Now, is this an employee of the supermarket? Yes. Or was this just a person? No, it wasn't just your local fish guy who just hangs out at the fish counter. This was the man selling me the fish. He's trying to upsell me on fish, Andrew. Yeah, like, I... Maybe I'm I'm just used to people who work at supermarkets, like, barely caring about anything. They just kind of, like, check you out, and they say, Happy New Year. Wait, they check you out? Well, I mean, like, they check out my... They swipe (laughs) my groceries across the scanner. I don't know how I messed that up. I don't know. But, but like no. your interactions with them are supposed to be super limited and the, and the grocery store doesn't care about them. So they don't care about upselling you on fish. Like I come in here and I buy exactly what I want and you give it to me and take my money and let me go. Like that's he's violating the social contract, I think. Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect to feel guilty about not taking his advice. And now I'm mad that I felt guilty. And now the fish is going to taste worse. It's going to taste like shame and guilt. Hey, I, it did taste a little guilty. <laughs> uh, I'm also it's a little... pronounced gefilte Go. fish, not, <laughs> not guilty fish. Oh, no. I'm That's also a good feeling, joke. That's pretty good. I'm feeling a little guilty this week. I did not finish my book about fish. Um, it is... <laughs> it, is my white whale whales, this book. Whales are not fish. Well, we'll find out they about that later. They are mammals. 
Uh, but in the meantime, Andrew saves a day, and Andrew is prepared to discuss a book he read a while ago uh, called The... S- what is it? It's The Secret History by Donna Tart, and prepared is perhaps too strong a word, but we're going we're gonna to roll with it anyway. <laughs> Here's here's the deal with this this book is that I read it over my honeymoon, which at this point was like two months ago. I thought it was like two years ago. You've been married uh, forever, no. haven't Not you? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I, um and so I was I was hoping to maybe have time to like skip through the whole thing again. But um I didn't because Craig dropped the ball. In well, such, and then you picked in it up in such a huge and humiliating way. Yeah, about as humiliating <laughs> as that interaction with that fish man. <laughs> with the fish man, I, I neglected to tell you that he was literally a fish man. <laughs> See, that would have made this. That would have gotten me interested in the story way more. Quickly. You need to pay, pay attention to the unit price. Don't you know about the migration patterns of the Atlantic salmon? <laughs> the Omega 3s that you want are in the skin. Why is my voice changing into a Muppet? <laughs> oh man, now you're like a fish cookie monster. It's a trap! So, 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 Donna Tart's The Secret History was uh-huh. published in 1992. <laughs> And it was a big deal at the time. It was very Why? well reviewed. Why? And it sold like five million copies just because it was good, no. I guess. Or like people <laughs> people perceived it to be good. I'm, I'm stuck in a rut where I think that things are important for some other reason other than... See, like... I could find that it did well, but I couldn't find like why it did well. Like the the first run of it was seventy five thousand books instead of the normal at the time ten thousand. So like people were expecting it to do really well out of the gate. Okay. And um yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure why, because it was her first novel and she hadn't really done a lot of publishing before then she just had a reputation that preceded her yeah she started writing it i think while she was in school yeah while she was in while she was in college and the story does take place in a college okay and um i mean we've talked before i think it was back when we read um you shall know our velocity Mm -hmm. that i sort of have a weird knee-jerk reaction to these books that obviously started as like fiction writing seminar projects because i went through a fiction writing seminar mm-hmm. and it, and i read like 12 terrible stories about white people with vague like familial or relationship problems and like sometimes somebody died because there was a gun and like <laughs> there was always alcohol and it's just <laughs> You know, I mean, it's it's a very formulaic kind of thing. So when I see a story like this, that's taking that kind of the university novel, as it were, tack. Yeah, the university novel. I get kind of about it. Okay. Now, even though I don't think I don't think that was the general reaction. So yeah, two things. Understand that I'm coming at it from a place where I don't really care that much for the university novel, and I read it two months ago. So I'm I've got all the big stuff, but like smaller individual moments. Like it'll be it part of the show will be like seeing what stuck and what didn't. I think that's important. I think yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, actually, given that we're in the new year now, you know, this and Happy twenty fifteen. Happy twenty fifteen. And this show's been going on for almost 
two years now. I don't it's even the know. year of the fish man. Good wishes and happy health to you. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Um, if people like that fish joke, this is going to be a great episode. I don't and if think they I've been... don't like it, then I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to 2015. We're going to try out characters on this show now. 2015. <laughs> Were you saying something? <laughs> Were you saying something not in a fish voice? That... Yeah, I was. Um, I was thinking about which books we've read in general that have stuck with me. And which ones kind of haven't. Like, I was leafing through our back catalog for some reason the other day. I was like, oh, I totally forgot I read that book. But then I was reading something about uh, Nabokov when I was doing research for last week's show. And it just got me thinking about Goon Squad for no reason, which is a show Mm -hmm. we read like 30 or 40 episodes ago. Yeah. Um, So I I think it's interesting and and a bit of a a good change of pace for us to, to talk about a book that might not be on the tip of your tongue. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Um, what else should we know about Donna Tart? Um, she's from Mississippi, attended the University of Mississippi. The word, well, I'm just going to go down the basic biographical sure. stuff that um, that we do for every show. She is. She was born in... I have in my notes that she was born in 1992, which is not right. She was born in 1963. <laughs> She's currently 51. And yeah, she's like, she has written a few well-regarded novels, but she, but she doesn't publish stuff all that often. So like Secret History is 1992. She published one in 2002 that was called The Little Friend, which, um, sold well, but was not as well-reviewed. Like it kind of gets lost between the Secret History and her newest one, which is The Goldfinch, which was published in 2013. And won the Pulitzer last year, apparently. Yeah. I did not like, know. Yeah, it's just, it took like 10 years to write, apparently. Like she was working on it the whole time. And it was like 700 and something pages long. And reading, like I was reading an interview with her and it made me want to read The Goldfinch and like try and get a better sense of her as a writer, like outside of the secret history. But yeah, she like, the the novels aren't really broken up with a lot of short stories or anything. Like she's published some short stories and nonfiction, but she's not like um, Dave Eggers or anyone where she's like no, churning no, no, no. out short stories all the time. No, it's very yeah. like intermittent. And actually, most of the dates on these are like early to mid nineties. Okay, okay. So, you know, yeah, she was. It, in it happens the, sometimes, but not frequently. But just after the release of the Goldfinch, she was included in times like 100 most influential people which i think is interesting for a a novelist in who's only written three books you know yeah that that's the thing that that um i don't want to say it puzzled me but i thought it was interesting is just that things and people drop out of our public consciousness like so quickly now but um Maybe maybe the publishing world just moves a little bit slower sometimes. Or maybe she just has the reputation where like people aren't gonna think about her all the time, but when she pops back up and has something to say, like everyone's gonna listen to it. That might be the case. Yeah. Um I did a little tiny bit of research on Bennington College, which is where the tiny college that she attended. Okay. Um it's in Vermont. Is that where the book takes place, Andrew? 
Um, yeah, more or less. Okay. It's um, uh, Hampton College. Cool. Which um, I think is fictional. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. Um, the this Bennington College was like started as an all girls school. It went co-ed. I thought it was interesting that it started as a women's college and then went co-ed from there. Um, usually you hear about it going the other way and it's uh it has there's like a weird note about um it like trying to do away with all sort of faculty divisions in like the 90s which had been a little ways after this book was written which is just an oddity to me i don't understand how you do that i don't understand how you try to blow up like the whole department structure of your of your college oh yeah no i'm not sure how that would work and i'm <laughs> i bet that the faculty was not nuts about the idea. No, I think there were a couple lawsuits involved, actually. Um, but other notable alumni include uh, Alan Arkin and Peter Dinklage, of all people. Oh, neat. He's in the. He's he's on TV. People know who he is. Yeah, he's on that Game of Thrones show that some of you might watch <laughs> on the HBO. On the HBO. Um, so I, just, I was just interested to find that that, uh, had some ties to other people who we might know. Um, but other than the fact that she seemed to run in a small group of friends with a, like, professor as a locus point, um, I wasn't quite sure how else this, the school related to the novel, but I think as we start talking about the book, we'll find out why that's important. It's just one of those things where the college is... Like, especially when she started it, I'm sure, like, the college is what's around her and it's what she knows. And, it, like, even if the events and the people are, like, entirely fabricated, like, the ba that backdrop is there. Mm. And that's what makes it a, a university novel. All right. Well, let's, what is the book? Let's, what is this secret history that we need to learn about? All right. I am going to read, I don't, I don't know if I want to read the whole thing. It's not super long, but um, at least I can read the, I, I guess just the first sentence tells you what you need to know about what it's a history of and like what the book is trying to do. Um, the snow in the mountains was melting and Bunny had been dead for several weeks before we came to understand the gravity of our situation. And um, so Bunny is a, Bunny is a guy. It's a nickname for Edmund Corcoran. Okay. And the book is pretty much all about the events leading up to his death, his murder by a group of his friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the effect that that murder had on them. So, so, and I, I meant, I brought this up maybe in our Gone Girl episode, but like, okay. A lot of books try to keep you guessing about like what happened. This book does not do that. This book tells you what happened right up front, and then it tells you why it happened. Yeah, I, I was doing a little bit of reading. Sometimes this is called a, quote, how catch em, Andrew, or a why done it. How catch em? Yeah. Is this Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> uh, otherwise, Wikipedia calls it the inverted detective story, which is far less exciting to say. Um, okay. And some dude named R. Austin Freeman claimed to have invented it in 1912, which <laughs> okay. I think might be a little presumptuous. It's uh, like people declaring that they invented things. Yeah. Um, but a f 
television play and later film called Dial M for Murder is a pretty famous example of a of a why done it or mm-hmm. or a how catch him if you will um, sure. kind of where you you know the crime up front or at least you know the transgression up front and then the rest of the story is either apprehension over whether or not that person will get caught or how the crime was committed or something like that yeah Susanna watches criminal minds and that's what happens every show opens with a small segment of somebody with a criminal mind um, committing <laughs> some kind of a criminal act. And then from there, you watch all the people who, like the vaguely attractive people whose names I can't remember, track down and catch the killer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll say that was kind of the, I, I alluded to this back on the In Cold Blood episode. There was some, there was an element of that uh, going on in that book as well, mm-hmm. where you were introduced to characters who, were clearly going to be the perpetrators of the crime. Uh, but Capote was refusing to tell you flat out how that was true. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's, who are these people and why are they going to kill that guy named Bunny? <laughs> <All right. laughs> I guess there will be let's, some spoilers, but the biggest spoiler is already out of the way. Thanks to Don I mean, Tart, the, the so. biggest spoiler you get to by reading the first two pages of the book. So I'm not even sure that I'm going to call it a spoiler. Like, right. Nothing has been spoiled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the story is told entirely from the perspective of Richard Papen or Papen. P-A-P-E-N. How do you think that should I'm be I'm going to go with Papen. Papen. Richard Papen. Richard, Richard Papen. And um, he is a transplant from the West Coast. He's from this fictional California town named Plano. <laughs> Wait. How is it spelled? P L A N O. Like I'm pronouncing it like Drano with a B L. Yeah, like he's really pl- boring. Yeah. Okay. Plano, California. <laughs> and he, it's 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 really I guess it's like sterile and kind of manufactured and he just and and he hates his parents and so he's super ha- and his parents hate him. Oh, oh jeez. And so he's super happy to transplant himself to the East Coast and Vermont, where there is all this, you know, there's still this natural beauty and these old style buildings and the sense of some kind of history. Okay. Where stuff in California, I think, is mostly newer. And this is taking place in the 80s, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not, it's, you know, it's the 80s, but it's not super important. Like, it could, it could take place, I think... Anytime between like the hippy dippy sixties stuff and like the advent of computers. Pre yeah, it is pre cell phone. Yeah. Which is really okay. Like post post nineteen sixties pre internet being able to do anything. All right, cool. <laughs> so, um and he wants to, you know, he gets, he gets to Hampton College and he wants to continue his Greek lessons that he had been taking. But he finds out that the classics department at this particular college is very small and close-knit and exclusive, and it's run exclusively by this guy named Julian Morrow. Okay. Um, There are five people in the classics department at Hampton Hampton College when the novel starts. Um, You've got Henry, who is kind of the leader. He's a a big, well-read, eccentric sort of guy. He's very scholarly. Okay. Um, Does he wear a scarf? Bunny. 
He does. I I do not think he does. I think there is another character who <laughs> is a flashier dresser. <laughs> okay, sorry. Say again. Um, there's Bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Edmund Corcoran, aka Bunny. Okay, which is a weird nickname. Is that a standard shortening of Edmund? <laughs> I don't believe so. <laughs> And um, he's kind of a, like, vaguely racist, kind of old boys club drunkard slash rapscallion. Do you know the type of person I'm describing when I say all that stuff? I like, sort of. I don't know if I've met. Have I met anyone like that? He's kind of old money without the money. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. I feel like maybe he's I've met old. some people like that. But they're all, like, 20? They're all 20. What, how old are these people? They're all, you know, they're all college students. So, yeah, 20-ish, 20-something. Okay. Early 20-something. Um, there are Charles and Camilla, who are fraternal twins. And there's Francis, who is a snappy-dressing, semi-closeted homosexual. So, those are the five people. And, um, you know, he, he can't get into the classics department. And so, he becomes sort of fascinated by these people and um i think his fascination with them kind of like i don't know like if you met somebody famous or somebody who you really had had admired from afar for some time like i think it would take a while for you to feel like they were just a person and to like stop treating them like the person who you admire does that make sense yeah 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 well and there's that sense of I only I don't converse with those people. I don't interact with them. My only impression is what I see and then what I like dream up when I'm lonely at home. Right. And then your your impressions of these characters be, or of these people becomes effectively their first impression on you even if that is not really anything like the real person. Wait, wait, are. wait. Can you say that again? Say that <laughs> sen- no, 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 say that sentence again because I think it's oddly insightful. Oh, thanks. Thanks for finding something that I said insightful. No, just you're, when you admired somebody, that like public face or just like what you can see becomes the first impression. And if you, you know, if you meet them or if you like start to get to know them, like it can, it can become hard to move past that first impression okay. to the person who is underneath. Yes. Know? I was also, I also kind of heard what you said as the idea that if you form that kind of mental schema of who someone is, I think whether or not it plays into this story in particular, that tends to inter- to influence how those people end up seeing you because you then you approach them in a weird way. Like, yeah, it's the reason why celebrities don't like talking to normies. Because we come up to them <laughs> and we're like, oh, you're a celebrity. Oh. Hey, can you sign my napkin? I don't have a pen, oh. but I poked a hole in my <laughs> finger. And you can sign it with this blood. I can sign it with this blood. All the people in Wichita do this. Oh, Is this another on. voice? Uh, 2015, the year of the character. Are you, tr- are you trying on another, another character? Um, but yeah, I think that, 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 that doesn't does come up so much in this book like the like the way that they see richard okay but he is kind of removed from and and aloof i think is the impression that i got 
Like he, he, there always, it always felt like there is this degree of separation from him and these other people. Like he worms his way into Julian's good graces and gets into the group and he feels like a fraud. Like he has some serious imposter syndrome going on, which may or may not be. Does he lie a little bit too? He fabricates things. He definitely makes up stuff about his background to, you know, hide his humble blue collar origins. Well, I never went to any, to college with anyone who did that ever. Not specifically yeah, right? about blue collar origins, but just that first few months of college where everyone's just like, well, I went to the moon and my mom's the first lady and I know how to cook a great bacon tart. Like everyone's yeah, right. making like, stuff what up. A, what is a bacon tart? I don't know. I, mean, I made like... it up. It's orientation week. What do you want from me? I need to impress you. Yeah. How How often do you get a chance to like get plunked down into the sea of strangers who you're going to have to get to know. And so you just decide to make a clean break. Like when I came to college, everybody in high school had called me Andy. Oh, you hate that's it. Just, that's just a thing that happened. Oh, and at no. college I made the decision, like I'm going to take my name back. This is what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I can't even imagine a time where people called you that. Like, I, I had another friend, uh, Jocko, who's been on the show. He went he went by Jake all through high school. I still call him Jake. And he went to art school, of all things. And st- guess what? He started going by Jocko. Now he's Jocko because it's fancier. It is a little fancier. <laughs> um, it suits him. But yeah, I think... I wonder if people do that as much now because of the internet. Like, if you spent your high school tweeting and Facebooking and Vining, do you... Like, if you... You might show up to college with a social media brand like you can't reinvent yourself yeah it it might make it easier for people to find out what you're making up but like everybody's facebook page is the most carefully curated version of themselves that they can possibly present like i don't think that's true of everybody but like anybody who cares about having a having a brand <laughs> is very carefully cultivating that and like paying attention to what they post. You got to and, like, and yeah, you just you see the highlight real version of everybody's life. I like the idea of going to freshman orientation and shaking people's hands and saying like, "Like me on Facebook." Like you don't even have like a personal page; you have a brand page. On I have a hashtag, <laughs> and here's when you should use it. <laughs> hashtag Plano, check it out. Hashtag, hashtag Plano. Okay, so he gets into the group. He gets into the group, and so Hampton, um, getting into this classics department at Hampton, effectively, like, you hand over your entire education to Julian. Like, you are not taking classes with anybody else. It's it's very, you are isolated from everybody else. And so, you know, in studying the five people who are in the group already, Richard knows that they are kind of removed from the rest of the students at the college. Okay. And then, like, you get into the situation where they are literally removed from, like, from their classmates and and don't really have to interact with them or anything at all. And is this, like, pitched as some sort of, like, wonderful alternative to standard education? Or why does this happen? Just Julian is charismatic and, like, well-read and smart, I guess. And, like, I think we've all had a professor or two who... We just really, really attach to and love and like if if asked to, like maybe we would have that one person like 
take over most of our education, at least in like a specific subject. Like, do you you know what I'm? Yeah, no, about, I know, right? I know what you mean. Um, I'm just trying to think of like th- what are because they're studying the classics, right? Is there like a thematic yeah. uh relevance to them just learning from him the whole time? Like, is is his teaching style particular to that to the subject matter or? Is it just more of a cult of personality thing? It's a little bit of a cult of personality. And and it and it here's how the whole classics thing like comes to bear is um So you know that Bunny gets killed up front, but the book after that jumps back and is all chronological from there. Okay, it doesn't jump back and forth. No, and okay. and so you start with Richard and getting into school and, and settling in and meeting these people and getting into the classics department. And then you start building up to Bunny getting killed. And the, you know, the, like, like you said, the point it's, the book is like a why done it. So you, the reader are looking for reasons why this guy who seems kind of annoying, but ultimately harmless is murdered by his classmates and friends. <laughs> Okay. He's is he um is he he's like the he's like that uh that nephew from The Wire. The guy with the duck. What's his name? Season two of The Wire. Not is it Ziggy? Ziggy. Ziggy. Ziggy's he's, the other okay. He's like Ziggy with that duck. Why does he's everyone hate like, Ziggy? He's kind of like Ziggy from season two of The Wire. Yep, welcome, which is also welcome to Deep Cut References twenty fifteen. Let's go. Man, this is a weird year so far. Um <laughs> So they're they're in this classics thing, and Richard at some point finds out that all five, you know, all four of them, excluding Bunny, like had gone into the woods and were like trying to recreate this like bacchanalian ritual, this thing where you sort of go into this state of frenzy and kind of lose control over yourself. Yeah. Like, like there's the a there's guy. a mm-hmm. yeah there's a there's a class where they talk about this kind of thing specifically and like what it must have been like for like a large mob of people to totally let go and like and what kind of things can happen so so the four of them do this and they like recreate this thing and they all go kind of nuts over a while and they end up killing some farmer what just just murdering him like in their frenzy wait so all right who the, who are the four go back it's henry um charles and camilla and francis not richard richard is not hasn't was not in the group yet at that point okay so by the time he's joined the group this has already happened i'm pretty sure yeah but this that, that's a point where you know the fact that this was two months ago might be getting kind of squeezed out of my brain but like that's the that's the important thing is like the four of them are there bunny is not and richard as he is through most of the book is kind of a an observer who is only ever kind of an accessory to any given thing like he's very rarely a a mover Mm -hmm. in this story um so they kill a guy bunny finds out about it and he kind of uses it as an opportunity to to blackmail the rest of them. So he's he's getting meals and and drinks and trips and stuff out of Henry in particular, even though you know people know that he doesn't really have the money to afford that stuff himself. Okay. And um, over time, I guess his his conscious 
consciousness, not consciousness, his conscience, his conscience starts to eat at him. And once it becomes clear that he's kind of cracking and that he's going to tell somebody else what the rest of them did, they decide that he's got to go. Like the best solution to the problem is to get rid of him. Like you do? Sure. Like like you do. Yep. And um, that's, you know, that that's at that point, the murder happens. Like the, the murder scene from the front of the book is not actually recreated. You just get up to the point where Bunny like shows up in this clearing and they and he asks them what they're doing there. And then it kind of cuts out to after. Okay. And they, you know, Bunny gets shoved down a cliff and it's That's supposed rough. to be the, it's supposed to be the perfect crime because like, let me, it's very like dispassionate the way that it's recounted. Like he would have just fallen or he was drunk yeah, or. Yeah. 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 Cause you know, he's, he likes to drink. Well, they all like to drink, right? They're all like, they're Bacchanalians or whatever. Yeah. What are you doing up here? Said Bunny, surprised when he found the four of us waiting for him. Why, looking for new ferns, said Henry. And after we stood whispering in the underbrush, one last look at the body and a last look around. No drop keys, lost glasses, everybody got everything. And then started single file through the woods. I took one glance back through the saplings that leapt to close the path behind me. Though I remember the walk back and the first lonely flakes of snow that came drifting through the pines. Remember piling gratefully into the car and starting down the road like a family on vacation. With Henry driving clenched-jawed through the potholes and the rest of us leaning over the seats and talking like children. Though I remember only too well the long, terrible night that lay ahead and the long, terrible days and nights that followed, I have only to glance over my shoulder for all those years to drop away, and I see it behind me again. The ravine rising all green and black through the saplings, a picture that will never leave me. So that went on a little bit longer than I No, that's okay. I was marveling at the the image of them all in the car post-murder as like a family of children. Yeah, yeah right? And wait, can you... I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you to read this again. Because um, I think this is fascinating. The What's the last thing that Bunny's... Like, go from the point where... Bun, read Bunny's last words and then read to where he's dead. <laughs> what are you doing up here, said Bunny, surprised when he found the four of us waiting for him. Why, looking for new ferns, said Henry. And after we stood whispering in the underbrush, etc., etc., like... What the? It happens. It happens in between. And there's is there any sort of line break or anything? I mean, there's there's a paragraph break. Okay, so there is a paragraph break. Yeah, but I mean, then earlier in the prologue, you know, you knew how it happens. Like he got pushed down a cliff, and um, you know, it it snows and it covers the body, and it like he becomes a missing person for a while. Like it was meant to be a thing where he would be found pretty quickly and then it would be dismissed as an accident. Uh, but there was this big manhunt and there's a little bit of police suspicion on, you know, the only people at the school who he hung out with. Yeah. That doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the group kind of begins to slowly unravel. Like Julian is told about the initial murder and just kind of resigns he kind of leaves the college and it's it's played as kind of hypocrisy and cowardice like he had he had created this little cult of personality and kind of glorified the stuff and then when something comes of it like he pieces (laughs) can we can we like dive into a bit of what that stuff is like i know it was a 
bacchanalian right but like what about that was seductive to them why why was that they just want to know what was what it was like like there there are actually very few scenes of them in class learning things from julian like most of the book you spend with them just kind of hanging out and um doing nothing in particular just kind of talking and dropping um literary references okay and, <laughs> and um getting to know each other i guess is it like is it a sense of is it something about what he's instilling in them that he feels responsible for or i mean they did have a discussion in class about these bacchanalian rites and what it must have been like to go through one and like what it would take to to do that okay to otherwise rational people i guess okay yeah cause... but it's you know it's it's not some deep thematic thing where like they're in class talking about this all the time um all right so then he um, leaves so so yeah the, he leaves the rest of the book is um is the group unraveling like henry starts sleeping with camilla uh, Charles gets mad about that because he was sleeping with Camilla, who remember is his twin sister. Gross! Stop! Hi from uh, um, what? Charles Charles gets kind of drunky drunk, and he try he goes to Henry's the hotel room where Henry and Camilla are, and threatens to kill him with his gun, and he shoots Richard instead, and then Henry like decides to cover for them, and he like kills himself. Cool. To protect Charles from like taking the rap. Great. Good job, and everyone. They, they, and then they kind of drift apart, and none of them have particularly satisfying lives after that. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> you did it, everyone. You went to college, and everything worked out. Best time of your life. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> The, the you know reading uh, reading the reactions to this book like one of the things that people kind of latch on to is that it itself has elements of like a greek tragedy to it yeah can you expound upon that at all like there there are all these there are all these events that happen in a very specific way in a and at least in retrospect they all appear to have been leading up to this one kind of inevitable conclusion mm mm-hmm. mhm and then this one fateful event dooms the rest of them, no matter you know, no matter what they do. Yeah. So there's after, after that, and that kind of jives with the idea of opening the book with, "Hey, we killed a guy," yeah. <laughs> because then the rest of everything you read from then on out fits into here's how they killed the guy. Like even if yeah, because it feels inevitable. Yeah, even if it's page seventy and it's like Francis eating a sandwich or whatever, like. 300 pages later he's gonna kill a guy so he had to eat that sandwich first it's inevitable well like the like just for example like richard goes to hampton college which how does somebody who lives in fake plano california find a small liberal arts school across the country and decide to go to it like some brochure got stuck in his pocket at some point like almost in passing and he just happened to open it and look at it and apply like it's yeah Okay. It's not something that he was trying for 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 a very long time. It was just like this collection of coincidences that that seems like 
anything but a coincidence, I guess. Like it's it's not a coincidence because it, it just was it was gonna happen this way. And is and Richard seems Richard thinks that himself. Yeah. Like he he thinks it was inevitable. He thinks it was it wasn't just a series of coincidences. Like it like here's here's the last part of the prologue is um I suppose at one time in my life I might have had any number of stories, but now there is no other. This is the only story I will ever be able to tell. So, yeah, like definitely his life, at least in his view, has been, you know, like this thing happened and it has become like the defining thing. And so every other event in his life, even if it wasn't actually you know, meant to lead up to and follow from this. It all seems like it was in his mind. Like it is, he, you know, the human, the human brain is a, is a weird thing. Like it will, it does a lot of things to like protect itself and justify things. Yeah. Of and course. Like without, without you even trying to do that, like it all becomes this one big thing that was meant to be like, yeah, you can, almost I don't know. Start. Like I'm like the people who we're friends with or like, you know, me getting married to somebody who I met in English class, like it's all, it all seems like it all naturally follows, but really like what are the odds of any one of those things happening, you know? Oh, precisely. Like I went to, speaking of going to a small college for no reason, like (laughs) I went to Kenyon because they sent me stuff in the mail first. Like, I took whatever test I took in high school and then like the practice SATs or whatever. And then I started getting stuff in the mail. Well, lo and behold, Kenny was the first place that sent me stuff. Oh. Yeah. And now that place like looms large in your past and, and there are yes. direct lines from there to like a lot of other stuff that's going on in your life. And it seems like, you know, that was the way it was going to happen. And it did happen that way. But like there's no particularly strong like justification for why it happened that way no there weren't like like, mythological gnomes like sticking stuff in the (laughs) post office box to make sure that that's where i went gnomes are great you know i've i've never i've never worked in admissions i don't know (laughs) what kind of black magics they employ to get people to come to the school fair enough um, though I do imagine if you killed a guy or helped kill a guy, that would be probably become the defining thing in your life. Right. And especially if you like, quote unquote, get away with it. Yes. Like you're going to find some other way to repent from that unless you're a psychopath. Yeah. Do you think so? Here's here's a, an issue of taste that I'm going to ask you, Andrew. OK. Um, Some of this like the events that happen in this book are kind of big right for like five otherwise well-to-do kids at a tiny liberal arts school in vermont right Mm -hmm. is it melodramatic is it over the top or does the the overall like kind of classical through line ground it in a like you know what i mean it's it kind of i know what you mean pulpy but it doesn't sound like it is there, there is some melodrama kind of implied in four people in the woods getting so drunk that they totally lose it and kill a guy. But, <laughs> but 
the way it's framed and the way you're kind of introduced to these characters, like the way Richard imbues them with kind of almost like a mythological mm. um, yes. kind of reverence. Okay. Sort of, you know, that plus the classics theme kind of sets you up to expect a certain kind of thing to be possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, like like it it just like they they don't go into super specific things about like how they created this ritual. It's just like it happened. And now that it happened, we have to deal with the consequences of it. Like it's I don't know. It's it's it all seems like it follows. Yeah. While you're reading the book. That makes sense. Um in which case, I think that that setting is is very important because it could just yeah. be it d- could just turn into a Pretty Little Liars situation. No, where... like it's not you're not gonna have like five people working at a factory or something who decide to go all <laughs> bacchanalian and and kill Hank from accounting, <laughs> and then they have to deal with the aftermath of that. <laughs> it's like Office Space Two or something. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, so you were also a classics major, Andrew. I'm going to mind this for all it's worth. Okay. What, how, did that, like, clock as you were reading the book? Does that, did that matter to your reading of the book at all? Was, how vastly different was your experience as a classics major? I mean, I didn't kill. killed anyone. No, I didn't kill that many people. Okay. And, um. Mm -hmm. Like I was a classics major, but I wasn't a great one. Like I, <laughs> I liked Roman history. I still like Roman history. I think that's super interesting. The Greek side of things never quite connected with me, okay, as much. Um, and of course, you know, I've I've spent the six or whatever years since college in totally unrelated fields that yeah. have almost nothing to do with with classics like i think a lot of liberal liberal arts majors that find themselves in careers that that take that path so that's fair enough um, so yeah that like it was it was like an oh neat kind of thing but it didn't really super influence my reading of of the book cool i don't think um i don't know like my my initial reaction to this story and I was, my friend Tiffany, who I work with, recommended it to me and really, really likes it. And my initial reaction to it was kind of, eh, like kind of lukewarm. Okay. And partly, partly because what, you know, what we discussed up top is like, I, I find this university novel where a bunch of 20 somethings do something bad and then there's a, and then there's alcohol and a gun and someone dies. Like, I find that kind of thing uninspired i guess sure like right out of the gate and that's probably unfair like i'm totally willing to admit to that being unfair and if you're coming at this from any other background like you probably are way more into it or like (laughs) or at least don't have or at least don't have that that bias against the the archetypes you know i mean yeah and it was also like it's also 20 something years old now Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I've, you know, I don't have a good sense of what the literary landscape was at the time. Um, yeah. But I mean, people, it was, you know, it was really well reviewed. And again, it sold 5 million copies and you don't sell 5 million copies of a book without 
it having some kind of redeeming quality. <laughs> like that sounded way more condescending than it I intended it to. But I, I started thinking of like Fifty Shades of Grey like halfway through that set. Oh, that's what happened. Like, man, how am I gonna, how am I gonna throw up a tent that has the secret history and Fifty Shades oh, of Grey under gross. it? How do I do that? <laughs> So, um, what, but like, I, yeah, I was reading, I was reading about, this is all a, a roundabout way of saying, I was reading the reactions to the book and the way the book is generally regarded and wondering if I shouldn't have liked it more. And so then, then that's part of the reason I wanted to try to read it again is like on a second pass, is it going to seem like a bunch of self-absorbed 20 somethings drifting through their self-absorbed lives or is it going to be more poignant or something or am i gonna come at it from a different perspective and therefore appreciate it more mm. well i'm sorry i robbed you of that come on craig i, know. I mean i've got a lot I'm, I'm traveling for work this week so the odds that i would actually have been able to read the whole thing cover to cover are pretty low well, don't feel too bad <laughs> and you would have like read it and you would have been like in an airplane and be like this airplane sucks this book sucks i can't take it anymore um one i mean i read a, a criticism of the book that it was really just here's some people and they do a bad thing. Like it didn't have, is there a sense of remorse or lessons learned or is it more tragic and is it more classically tragic in that sense where it's like, here's a bunch of people that are set up to do something bad and then the bad thing happens. And then we as the audience or the reader are supposed to walk or like walk away learning from their mistakes or something like that i don't know about the last part about us learning from their mistakes but yeah it's it's definitely the first part where you said that it's it's a thing that was meant to happen and then it happens is i think more or less true okay what Um, what can we what should we or what do you think tart wants us to take away from the book though if anything that's an interesting question, and, which is and, the thing that people say to buy themselves time when they don't have a good answer <laughs> for the question. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it's because a, it's an interesting setup, right? Because it's all, it's these people wrapped up in a particular view on the world, and then that view of the world leads them to this utterly, you know, depraved act. Yeah, and like, then I'm, a bunch I'm, of them I'm, afterwards. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to purport to know what Tart wanted me to take away from this book. Okay, Um, fair enough. What I took away from it was that, I don't know, don't be a bad person. Like, don't get get involved in a weird little closed off classics cult when you go to college. Like, I don't know. Okay, (laughs) fair enough. There's not, there's not like a moral to this story. It's just like. I don't know. This this happens, and even though Richard gets away with it, he is forever changed and unhappy. Okay, he's just kind of a ivory tower academic who is who doesn't have a lot of meaningful relationships in his life. Yeah, and that's like that's him, and that's gonna be him for the rest of his life, or at least at, at least that's the track that the book puts him on. Yeah. So there seems to then be a tension between these kind of like tweedy ivory tower people who then vacation in like riotous emotion land and it goes as bad as it could possibly go Mm -hmm. and so i don't know if maybe 
maybe there's something because that's what is that is that Nietzsche is that like Apollo and Dionysus I think um like you know are you completely reason oriented or are you like moved by your passions or something like that mm-hmm. um I don't know maybe yeah, I mean the people around them are doing self-destructive things too like there's this girl judy poovy who that's a great name it's a really good name and she she weaves in and out of the story and she like does coke a lot and drinks a lot and like does the i think the stuff that a lot of people do the stere- yeah the stereotypical college stuff that's happening over there in yeah judy Poovey's but like book. she's she's at least like in the social fabric even if the social fabric seems like a crappy fratty party oriented kind of thing fair enough yeah <laughs> like to the best of my knowledge judy poovy does not kill anybody <laughs> at least not during the confines of that book maybe there's a sequel that like the poovy files <laughs> where she where she kills somebody <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah that's that's basically it like i i do I'm not going to say I like or dislike this one. I'm not. I'm just, I'm totally unsure about how I feel about it. You're not sold. Because, yeah, my, my, I'm not sold. My initial reaction was lukewarm, and then other people seem to like it more than I did. And so that makes me question my judgment. That's basically where I am on it at this point. It's a weird place to be. I know what you mean. Yeah. You look at a thing or see it or, like, watch a thing, and you go, I don't, I mean, I guess. I mean the you, the the writing is good. You know the 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 passage that I read is is kind of um what's what's the word? It's 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 representative of the way the rest of the story goes. Like it's just it's engaging to read. Richard is an and Richard she does, is an interesting character to hang out with. Like you're it's not a bad head to be in for the bulk of the story. Or, or at least he uses interesting language. Like he's he himself is kind of a a cipher, like I said, like an aloof yeah. cipher kind of audience surrogatey kind of character. Which you like need. the only time he the only time he does anything is at the end where he gets shot, and even that is like not a thing that he did. It's just a thing that happened to him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he was there, letting you see all of it. <laughs> yeah, like he's hanging around on the periphery of this thing, but he's not the one who's who's causing events to happen. All right. Well, that's a secret history, go. I guess. There's a secret history. Yeah. Of fishmen. Nope. Nope. No fishmen. If you have thoughts on Craig's fishman voice, you should email them to us at overduepod at gmail.com. You can also register your displeasure on Twitter and Facebook at twitter.com and facebook.com slash overduepod. I want to give a shout out to all the people who have been tweeting at us. That includes Rose and Veronica and Cleo and Lee and Sean and Go Away I'm Reading and Nada <laughs> and Jillian and Lindsay and all sorts of people. I'm missing a few, but uh, there's a bunch of people out there who've been tweeting at us. Colleen and Terry and Alex were checking us out on Facebook, sending notes in. I know Colleen and Terry were stuck in an airport and listened to us to help pass the time, so... We're happy to help alleviate some of that boredom. Yeah, and um, we've gotten like 15 new Facebook page likes this week, which I, I'm not even sure where you're all coming from, but I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> um, 
And if you knew uh, ratings and reviews on our iTunes page, we've got some very nice ones there. Craig, if they if they want to subscribe to the show in iTunes and in whatever and leave us a rating and review, what do they have to do? Where should they go? They should go over to overduepodcast.com. They'll find links to the iTunes page, the RSS feed, et cetera, et cetera. They'll also find Amazon links to the books that we've read and are reading. Um, and if you click on those, you can then buy that book or other stuff and it helps support the show, and it's it's a great way to keep the show going. Uh, you can also go back and listen to episodes that you may have missed, or maybe books that you wanted to read first before you read the book. Uh, I know a couple of people have done that, and it's a great way to keep us uh, in your ears. I That one got <laughs> away from me <laughs> a little bit. Um, so next week, we are talking about Moby Dick. We are talking about Moby Dick. We are talking uh-huh. about Moby Dick. Uh-huh. I'll believe it when I hear Hey, you kept postponing Lolita because it made you uncomfortable. So we're just we're just doing what we're doing in twenty fifteen. Yep, which is reading books slowly. Well <laughs> <laughs> Okay everybody. Thanks again for listening. Uh we will see you next Monday and try to be happy. <laughs> <laughs>